welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast series covers HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things Aesop, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manny Art. And Tara is insisting that I do that I not be self-deprecating and telling people not to follow me because I'm not good because they don't think that's true and they know they're not alone. So <laughs> moving forward, I will not self-deprecate myself. In my defense, though, I've always said I'm not good right now, but, true. you know, implying that I will get better. At some well, point. of course, of course. Thanks for joining us for our third episode, which will cover episode three of House of the Dragon, second of his name. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the episode we're covering, but less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon. We'll start with an episode summary, then cover what we think are the main hot takes from the episode, and conclude with an episode-specific favorites roundup. We also have a rating system that we will, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please. And that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Last but not least, each week we're joined by a special guest. This week it's Jason, a fellow ASWAF lover and Ice and Firecon volunteer. Jason, where can everyone find you on social media? Hi. Um, everyone can find me on Twitter at uh, Cavalden. That's K-A-V-A-L-D-E-N, uh, the Lone Wolf Guardian. And on Instagram, I'm on Alden1980. We're super excited to have you join us, but just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget that Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return. In fact, we recently updated some of our tiers to include new perks for our $3 per month guard tier and for all tiers from $5 a month and up, including early access to these Hot D podcast episodes. You can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for the long and the short of it, our weekly episode summary. Wait a minute. Did you restart episode two? Nope. We're just back with the crab feeder, who's doing what he does best, which is apparently burning things and torturing people with, you know, crabs. The animals, not the other kind. Windy boy Cractus swoops in, laying waste to everyone, enemy and ally. But the crab feeder scullies back into his cave while his archers drive off dragon and rider alike. Needless to say, Damon and the Sea Snake's Stepping Stone War is not going well. But back in King's Landing, Viserys could kind of care less. Because it's been three years, he's married to Allison, and he finally has a son. And another child on the way. Everything's coming up dragons, am I right? Well, maybe not for Arena. She seems to be in full angst mode, ignoring her duties as princess, while she reads under the weirwood tree and forces a singer to play her favorite song over and over and over again. You think, with her still being the heir, 
and it haven't been three dang years, she wouldn't be so pissed about Allison. But thus is the life as a sulky teenager, I suppose. However, perhaps she gets it honestly. Despite his positive attitude early in the episode and the fact that they're all off in their mobile igloo to go on a fancy hunt in honor of his son's second birthday, eventually Viserys once again ends up super stressed. So he gets wine drunk and dips into full-on sulk mode himself, whining to his pretty little pro wife about Rhaenyra's attitude, his choice to make her heir, how his counselors keep bugging him about all the things, prophecies, blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. To be fair... Who doesn't get the wine-drunk blues? But then, none of us are also powerful kings of entire lands with all sorts of serpents and dragons and shit at our disposal. Okay, okay, I digress. The main point here is that while Viserys is insisting Rhaenyra is still his heir, he's also demanding that she marry. Though she's not at all fond of suffering the not unswarmy advances of Jason Lannister. Between that experience and the fact that she very obviously feels out of place, it's no surprise when she basically tells her father to talk to the hand and rides off into the sunset. Angstily, of course. At least she gets to have a fun camp out in the woods with her good bud Kristen, complete with them getting bushwhacked by a boar that Rhaenyra takes out, a dagger nonetheless, after Kristen fails to kill it outright. And when she rides back into camp, dirty and bloodied and dragging her own kill, it's nothing short of triumphant, especially compared with Viserys' experience of having a stag chased down for him and then having to make several weak attempts to kill it. Kind of seems like the chances of him being able to make his daughter do anything she doesn't want to do are as slim as Caraxi's windy neck. Oh, and throughout all of this, good old Otto is out and about doing what he does best. AKA trying to control everything by trying to convince people that Rhaenyra should marry her two year old half brother for fuck's sake. Then counseling Alicent to get Viserys to change his mind about the succession. Don't worry though, at least for now, Viserys is still calling Rhaenyra the realm's delight and swearing on her mother's memory that she will not be supplanted now as gabby as viserys has been for like this entire episode damon by contrast is a man of no words for the last sequence on this on the step zones he gets news that his brother is finally sending reinforcement and wordlessly beats the shit out of the messenger he marches up to the crab feeder stronghold with a flag of truce and wordlessly offers up dark sister and then he wordlessly hacks his way through pirates between himself and the cave wordlessly suffers three arrow hits and then as Lanor Valerian rides in on sea smoke to rain fire on the crab feeders forces Damon wordlessly emerges from the cave dragging the partial corpse of his enemy fa okay hot take number one <sighs> three year time jump this time and I've got several questions about this does this mean every episode will have some sort of time skip Especially with us knowing that eventually the characters age up so much that the actors for Rhaenyra and Allison are totally different adult people. Honestly, just a little worried about what this means for the length of the show as a whole. Like even like beyond this season, will it be a short run or will they rush this season only to badly drag out later seasons? And honestly, these are all rhetorical questions, of course, but... How do we feel about these time jumps so far? If I had to say, I mean, because the first one we had like six months. And this one's now three years. And 
I agree with you when you say that we might be worried that we're rushing for this. So we might like the next episode, who knows, could be five, 10 years later down the road. And then from what I saw in the previews, seeing, you know, when you see uh, Matt Smith's character, Damon, it's obviously that, you know, he's a, his hair is different. So it's obviously he's older, I guess. So he changed his look a little. And it's possible that for myself, thinking that maybe this is a good thing or a bad thing. It depends if they just want to get to the good stuff and skip all the rest, but who knows? Yeah. I don't know how I felt about the, the uh, time jumps, you know, like, I mean, it's fine. See, I think the thing is, is that the time, I mean, I almost feel like the time jumps have to be kind of spelled out for you a little bit because it doesn't really look like anything is changing, honestly. So it's a little like tricky, you know, I mean, the fact that they kept focusing in on like the baby and all this stuff, I was like, Oh, okay. This is like a time jump, like, all right, you know, because it just kind of didn't click for me at first. But I guess if you're trying to tell a story, I don't know how in-depth the book is or how how long it is or if there's time jumps in the book. But I don't know if they're trying to compress everything into, like, one thing and just keep it like a one-season deal. Or is this going to be something that they're going to keep doing? I don't know. Being that it's based on what is essentially a, a historical text... There are obviously time skips in that, right? Because it's just blurbs. They do focus on this portion, on on Viserys, not so much his reign, but everything that happens with his children and his heirs and everything quite a bit. That's like, that's probably the biggest chunk of the book story-wise. But I mean, we already know it's renewed for season two. We already knew it was going to, you know, unless it just totally flopped, it was going to be several seasons, right? But if they keep doing these time jumps, we'll be getting through the the main part of Viserys and his heir's story, like, by the end of season two. I think they could easily make three seasons out of this, but I'm really questioning if they, if they keep doing it, for sure, I don't see them being able to push it beyond season three without stretching the story out too much, which we all know shows tend to have problems with a lot of the time uh, meanwhile game of thrones rushed it too much uh but you know that's that's another story for another time i guess but i, I mean they were a bit loud quite a bit louder quote unquote in this one about the time skip having happened i mean like you said many there, there was a line about it being three years later but also there's they're throwing a second birthday party or celebration or whatever for their two-year-old so it's like okay well it's been at least two years and nine months if you, even if you didn't hear that one i think it's one line about it being three years later so like it's like you said it's a little bit more obvious but i i mean and i don't mind them assuming their viewers intelligence right but last week's was so kind of hidden that i'm hoping they take more of this week's story and make it a lot more obvious that there's a time skip that they're going to keep doing it. I mean, of course, when they change the actors for Rhaenyra and Allison, that'll be super obvious, but really wondering when that's going to happen now, I guess. Hot take number two, everyone is so obsessed with marriage. So again, like, listen, I know why everybody's pushing everybody to get married. That's just the thing you do in this sort of society. People trying to get Viserys to marry 12-year-old Lena in episode two, fucking gross. Viserys marrying his daughter's close friend, who's so much younger than him, still gross. Then there was Jason Lannister coming on so strong. And also, quick note, this is their courting system. He's offering her a dragon pit 
It's where you put your dragon. Har, har, har. But then, of course, there's this whole thing about trying to get Rhaenyra, a whole-ass teenager, to marry her two-year-old brother. And I get that it's not right now sort of situation, but you still know it would happen way sooner than it should. Well, let's see here. For me, I don't. I, it's obvious that Jason Lannister was trying to push himself onto her, and I don't think he even had a. How do I put this? I don't think he even told Viserys until he actually confronted him. It's like you know, how about I marry your daughter? And he's like, why? And then having Otto suggest that he has Viserys' son marry his daughter. And I mean, I get the fact that they are pushing that incest a lot since that was kind of a thing with the Targaryens that they were trying to keep the bloodline pure. We know incest exists in this world and we're still not too crazy about it even now. And it's very gross and disgusting. And I, I just feel that it's just nuts. And like, especially when Viserys says he's like, he's two years old. It's his birthday. You want me to marry him to, to my daughter? Is this nuts? Are you nuts? I love that he finally starts snapping at Otto on that. And that was just really well done, I think. That he finally is like, you know, because Otto's always been like in his ear talking to him, telling him what he should be doing. And then when he suggests this and he's like, I don't know if it was the wine or him just working that out in his head. And he's telling Otto, go away. Get out of here. I don't want you near me right now. <laughs> Yeah, that was like, that was absolutely fucking gross. Like, yeah, you should marry this two-year-old kid. Like, even though it's like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's like later, you know, it's not now, but it, but it's like later. Like, you know, like I've, I've known people that were 20 years younger than me and they grew up to be beautiful people, but I still look at them and I'm like, and all I see is a little kid. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like, no, I don't care how pretty you are, dude. I saw you in diapers like that. No, mm -hmm. you know, incorrect. Yeah, no, especially you know, so, imagine, imagine that as a birthday present. Here's son, yeah. here, here's a deer. And also, here's a wedding. <laughs> here's a wedding. It's like, no, thank you. You know, I mean, I certainly understand that, like, like the concept of of what what they were trying to do. I mean, it came out of, you know, Otto's mouth. So, Otto, Otto, you know, it's instant sus right there. And I understand like marrying for like the houses and all this kind of stuff because we want to be stronger and all this. But it's like, like I get that part of it. But why are you going to try to marry off like Rhaenyra? Also, I mean, do you not know this woman, Otto? I mean, come on, you've been around her forever now you should know oh yeah sure mm, she's a good girl she's gonna marry exactly what the king tells her no dude come on man you know these people have no idea how to raise children children no. are like sailboats you need to be the wind on their back you cannot control them you know <laughs> i don't think he knows her very well because in the last episode she was just like really getting into her role as the heir and i was like no 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 you just stay over there, look pretty, be, be be a princess, be innocent. Well, well, I'll take care of the rest, you know. And it's obvious when he's talking to Viserys, Otto is doing everything he can to secure his spot into the into the throne. He's already got his daughter married to the king, and they're already having a child. So I guess Otto's like trying to really keep the family in on the throne, basically for himself. It's obvious it's a power play in a way. Well, and since we're already kind of into this and that was kind of my lead into hot take number three was talking about Otto trying to get Viserys to agree to marry baby Aegon II to Rhaenyra that brings us to hot take number three 
which is Skinny Good Old Otto, which you've kind of already been touching on. But first of all, like, go away, you fool. <laughs> it was kind of hard not 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 to blend Hot Take 2 and 3 and into one. Yeah. Because as soon as yeah. this idea of marriage came up, I just thought about Otto and then like, you know, you know, with the two. And I'm just like, look, now, I mean, sorry. <laughs> I know. I mean, the whole back and forth between Rhaenyra and Jason Lannister was great. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. he was, he was like, not super smarmy, but definitely smarmy, some. Kind of got a bit of a Chad vibe off of him. He's like, yeah. hi, I'm Chad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at least that way it was like, it, it was kind of like, honestly, when it comes to the whole marriage thing, that was the most normal thing that happened, you know, because you see yep. these things like in the Jane Austen books and all that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah. oh, you know, they just, I want to have, you know, take my hand in marriage. Like, you know, like it was very like, yeah, the guy was like a Chad, absolutely, you know, but the fact that he approached it in a very like 1800s type of manner, I'm like, look, bro, like I, I can respect that to some sense. And it is crazy as, as it was and like weird, that was the most normal thing that happened, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Obviously, it was just amusing. It was like, she ain't ever going to accept this. But I loved it when he offered her a dragon pit. And I turned to my friend who I was watching it with. And I was like, that's a dragon. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Jason, oh. can I have one too? Can I have a dragon pit also? <laughs> <laughs> so, scheming good old Otto, like we've already been talking about. He just wants to keep control of the situation. But the thing is, Allison is the smart one here, right? Her father is kind of leading her, telling her what to do in a way, but she's handling it way better than he is. I mean, like you said, Jason, Viserys even is like, get away from me. Like, too much, man. Go away. I mean, and honestly, with Viserys being, that was more like whiskey drunk than wine drunk, if you ask me, when Viserys oh, got yeah. like snippy with Otto. Yep. But he... <laughs> He, he he hit his wall. He went from he went from sulky wine drunk to just angry drunk. Yep. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean Otto definitely just he wants to keep control of this situation. And again, like you guys said, because he has Alicent married to the Queen already. Now his grandson is the first and first still living son of Viserys. He is gonna do anything he can to get that kid on the throne so but he he was just over the top about all of it in this episode and i loved that even without damon there kind of holding viserys's hand and pointing at things being like hey hey, hey these people are leading you and trying to use you viserys still saw through auto a little bit I really did appreciate, you know, Viserys kind of getting drunk and going off the chain. I felt like I can relate to him a little more <clears throat> after that, you know, because I think we've all been in those dark places like that where, you know, you know, it's called like, uh, what is it called? Prolonged drinking, right? It's not getting drunk. It's drinking for a certain amount of time to when you hit that level of like, okay, I'm kind of done, you know, and I felt like. I don't know. I felt like it was a like I really kind of saw like a real kind of piece of him. I thought that 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 was good writing, like the way he he was being, and and I felt what was going on. So I thought I thought that was good, honestly. Yeah, I felt when with the drinking coming on that he was starting to open up and starting to finally let out all the stress and anger and anxiety that he's been having. Because the thing is, he's obviously making a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, you kind of feel bad for him because. But again, he's still making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And I felt when he was drinking and the and the alcohol was starting to flow in and Otto's talking to him. And then later on, you know, 
he's still drinking more and he's just letting it all out. You feel a little bit more connected to Viserys for that. Yeah, I did after that scene. I definitely did. Well, and honestly, that perfectly leads right into hot take four, which is Cybaceris. Because again, like you guys, I finally started feeling a little more connected to him at some points in this episode. Honestly, the wine the wine drunk blues really they got me, you know. And yeah. they're done that too many times to count. Yep. But also at the same time, I was kind of ugh at the whining and about him voicing his concerns about his choice of Rhaenyra to Allison of all people. Like, I get it. She's his wife. You want to be able to vent to your partner, your spouse, whatever. But with good old Otto around, you know that him telling her these things is going to cause issues later. Like, you just know it, right? Yep, yep. But then at the same time, I also couldn't help but be a bit proud of Viserys when he did stand up for his daughter and his choice to make her his heir. Even after he had that conversation with Allison, where he was saying like, oh my God, did I make the wrong choice? Uh, woe is me, I'm the king of an entire land, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, he does in the end stand up for his choice of Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra herself anyway. So since you guys also felt that extra sort of connection to Viserys in this episode, what are your thoughts about his venting to Alicent, but then kind of taking it back? when he stood up for Rhaenyra. Oh, I know exactly what that's called. That's called undigested thoughts is what it <laughs> is, right? It's it's for the same reason that you never go through your partner's phone, right? It's not because you think they're cheating or anything like that. Is that sometimes you got to say things just so you can hear it and then be like, okay, you know what? Maybe that was bad, you know, <laughs> like, or maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I wasn't thinking right when, when, when I said that. So I think that was just undigested thoughts on his part. And then when he, he finally came to, then he was like standing up for like Rhaenyra. Because like to me, I really, really, really like Rhaenyra. Like I really connect with her and I really like her. So I love that he's like, no, this is what's going to happen. Whatever. Now we all know what probably will eventually happen when, you know, Otto will probably get his hands in there and mess stuff up maybe but for right now i thought it was cool good old auto auto. (laughs) here i'm thinking myself this is supposed to be a happy day for him i mean he's celebrating his child's names sake for the for a second year and this is supposed to be just like hey we're going on a family outing we're having a family get together you know everyone's coming over we're having a party we're gonna have a good time i'm gonna go kill something in my for my son (laughs) <laughs> but and that's all he wanted he just wanted to have a good time he like even when he's the news of what's going on with the stepstones is happening he's like I, I, no no i don't want to hear this i want to have a good time i want to be with my family i want to be with my friends and it's hard because he's still dealing with everything with rhaenyra and it doesn't help that with everything going on she's coming of age or jason lannister wants to marry her and then everyone else is talking about marriage and Otto's in his ear and it's not working out for him. He just wanted to have a good time with his friends and family. And it's just get, turning into worse and worse by the minute. And it's usually like one of those episodes you would see in a sitcom or something where it's supposed to be a happy time, but it just turns into a misery. I mean, honestly, since you bring up sitcoms, their whole ride to the hunt 
in that carriage, which that's, I referenced Oh my it. God, the carriage. Yeah. I never paid oh attention God. to that until you mentioned it. And then I saw oh. it and I was like, oh my God, she's right. <laughs> the eagle carriage. Yeah. When I was watching it with my friend, Steve, he called it the mobile igloo. And I was like, I'm stealing that. Cause that's exactly what it looks like. It that's looks like it a looks mobile like. igloo. So from now on, every uh. time that carriage comes on screen, it's going to be the mobile igloo. Like I want to find a picture of it and make a graphic <laughs> that just says mobile igloo. Mobile igloo. Uh. It was really like an, are we there yet? Like none of us <laughs> want to be in the same car. Like I said, they're going out to the woods. It's a family outing in an RV almost. Yeah. 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 And I, I love the fact that it had cup holders. <laughs> yes it had cup holders i've never seen cup holders in a, in a medieval cart before and i'm like okay i mean he's, and he's the king them? he needs the best yeah well yeah. when you can afford all those upgrades you know do you get yeah. the lever seating and the cup holders or do you and just cup holders he's yeah. the king damn it yeah he can afford it he's in like the class a winnebago mobile igloo you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> but he's still having a bad time because his daughter is sulky and angsty and uh, <laughs> she, she's obviously got that i don't want to be here look and like she, if, if they had cell phones back then she'd probably be on her cell phone on the cell constantly phone. i'd be mm. like honey look there's cup holders put your cup in there watch what happens look it holds it for you <laughs> Seven hells. I can't believe this thing just holds my wine as we're going. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, uh. speaking of Rhaenyra, instead of being on herself on like a normal teenager nowadays, she just leaps onto her horse and rides off into the sunset and Sir Cole of House Slaw over here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like my friend uh. said that we were watching it and I was like, that's not what his name is. Like it's Kristen Cole, but I like I whatever, I'll repeat this because it's funny. Um so Sir Sir Cole of House Slaw over here like rides off after her because he's a King's guard, he has to protect he's her. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean does anybody not think he's attractive? <laughs> I'm pretty sure every dude I know, straight or not, is then eyeing Kristen Cole with oh, yeah. a um, hard you know, motherfucker. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> he obviously, dude, man, he obviously takes care woman. of himself. Let's let's just say that. Oh, he yeah. takes he takes good care of himself. Hot take five is about Rhaenyra specifically and what happened to her after she ran off. Because as we mentioned in the summary, her and Sir Cole of House Slaw over there got bushwhacked by a boar. And Kristen tries to kill it, but does not succeed. And then Renera goes all stabby, stabby on it. And she was so angry and so stabby. And it was also just really cool watching her take on this big, mean animal. Because boars are big, mean animals. Yep. yep. I can tell you exactly what it was that I loved about this scene so much, aside from the fact that it had Rhaenyra in it, is I'm a big fan of the Tomb Raider reboot for the video games. Hmm. And that's what this reminded me of, right? Like, I mean, it was just like a boar. And then she just kind of like just goes ape and is just and just stabbing this thing. I mean, I loved it. It's fantastic. Hmm. For myself, I also enjoyed this scene because it kind of had a little bit of a, like a a horror movie vibe a little because when you see christian looking in into the woods and for most people who's watched horror movies you're looking into the darkness you're not seeing trying to see something jump out you this boar you never i never even saw it coming until it, it popped out that it comes out from under the bushes and attacks them and i was like whoa what was going on i was like where, where did this come from it goes straight for rhaenyra 
and she's fighting and Kristen stabs it and it goes down and like like I said like it's like a horror movie it comes back to life and she just goes like scream queen on it and I love the fact that she took out her knife and she's stabbing into the boar and she's taking out all her frustration her anger her Mm -hmm. stress out on this thing I mean she's killing it in defense of herself but she's using it as a way to get out all these feelings because you can see that they've been building up for so long since Viserys decided to propose to Allison right in front of her and going back to episode two on that I love the fact that when she was told, she's like, I accept you to get remarried and then finding out it's her best friend. And you could see on her face, everything, her heart is crumbling. And I love that. And then finally seeing her go into this boar, stabbing it and finally releasing all this anger and stress on her. And I think it was just really done well. And it shows that she is growing and maturing into a very powerful and wise woman. Yeah, I mean, listen, kids, stabbing a wild boar to death in the woods is a great outlet for your anger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I do kind of feel bad for Christian because, you know, since coming to King's Landing, it's obviously he's the kid trying to make make it in the world and go moving to the big city. And he finally gets that job he always wanted. And now he's got to deal with all the all the craziness going on with Rhaenyra, Viserys, Otto. It's just like, I just came here to be a knight. Have you guys seen the 90s Game of Thrones? It was 90s Game of Thrones, right? Where they, they took like scenes from the first season of Game of Thrones and made it into like a 90s sitcom. Like now mm. I want to see this 90s sitcom of Sir Cole of House Slaw, like House marching, Slaw. marching off to the big city for his dream job, you know, getting his dream job, becoming all successful. And then like, <laughs> oh, he has to deal with this. <laughs> oh, he has to deal with that. Oh God, what, what, what was it like the t- Mary Tyler Moore show? It's like, she's gonna make it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. <laughs> but leading up to that, to you know, the boar killing scene, they were having, they really were having like a nice, I mean, it wasn't, I guess, you know, Rainier was upset and, but, but he was talking to her, helping her out. His job shouldn't be to be a therapist, but that's kind of what he was. And then this happened and it was like, I don't need your reflective therapy. <laughs> Give me that punching bag. Like in my case, when I was, when I was in therapy, years ago, there was still like anger and like frustration. And for me, it was kneading bread dough. I went through this huge bread making phase way prior to when everybody was doing it in COVID because kneading and punching bread dough is a great way to get out that frustration. (laughs) So like, I feel you bring it up. I thought it was a really good scene. I just thought it was great. I I think it was great that, you know, um, Cole of Slaw over there is looking into the darkness and the thing just comes out. I mean, I guess that's how boars attack people anyway, right? Because you never expect this little thing to just kind of run you off the uh run, run you off the road you know i thought the scene was really well done it had a nice bit of like suspense to it and then i i don't know i just thought it was good i liked it all right so on to hot take number six stag 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 stags <laughs> this is this is a chance that we often have at us in firecon there's a lot of stag stuff in this episode the stag scene with viserys was awful yes i've recognized that this is a cgi animal but it was awful to watch. I also would like to hear y'all's thoughts on whether 
it was reluctance or weakness or a combination of both as to why he had so much trouble killing it. Well, for myself, I think the thing is, is like, first, he's not really even hunting the stag. He's, he's going out to these guys. He's like, Oh, we found it. We'll, we'll get it. You just go back to the party. We'll call you when we need you sort of thing. So it doesn't feel like for him, for Viserys, it doesn't feel like he's actually doing anything except, you know, just showing up and going to stab it. And that's it. Call it a day. I feel that maybe if he was out there hunting it, maybe he would feel some kind of control or power to, you know, to hunt something and have, you know, have something that might, you could say that was his, but for having all these guys and with all these dogs tracking it down and, and then holding it kind of like as it was tied up, like holding it down. And it's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah stab it right here. You're good. And you could see for, for Saris, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like anything for him. It just felt like I'm, I'm not doing anything. It didn't feel worthy for him. And, and you can see that he's not even doing a good enough job because it, it has to do with like more than once for him. It didn't feel like, a victory. It just felt like everything was just being handed to him. And when I saw this scene, I kind of felt like there was a metaphor from out of this scene because here you have a person who is the head of the House of the Dragon killing a stag. But in the future, as we know, it will be the House of the Stag that kills the dragon. Yes. And that is not a spoiler because if you have not watched any Game of Thrones, then you really shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I, I kind of gathered like the same thing from, from that scene. I think it was just like it, it was like a pointlessness, and I think he just saw it. It's just like this is dumb. I didn't hunt this animal and I just get to kill it and then you know go back to the camp and say, Look, look at what a great killing I did, you know, or whatever. And and I, I think I think there's a part of him that really doesn't like the traditionalism and all this kind of stuff that kind of goes on with that, that he, that he just kind of sees it as pointless. You know, he's bored because you're right. Cause if, if he did go out and he hunted it himself, I think he would have been more excited about it, but this was just handed to him and he just, he stabbed it. Okay. You know, I can definitely see the, uh, the, the boredom in his eyes when he had to do that. And that brings us back to Rhaenyra because while Viserys had this stag brought to him and had to kill it and did a bang up job of it, sarcasm, Rhaenyra got her own stag scene. But with her, it was the big old fancy white stag. Because, you know, symbolism. So I just wanted to talk about the symbolism of the white stag, which historically it's associated with purity and like the divine power of nature. But specifically in Aeswath, it is described as an omen that means there will be like good fortune for the rule of the king to which it appears. And with Sansa in Aeswath, Sansa talks about how in the stories, the heroes don't harm the white stag but treat it gently so especially in an episode that's so fraught with discussion of marrying Rhaenyra off this stag this white stag that's a symbol of purity comes along and then she sees it which means that this is supposedly an omen that her rule will be great right and then on top of that we've got the stories from Sansa where heroes do it no harm and of course Kristen acts like he's about to go after it and Renair just shakes her head 
and they let it go. So there's it, it, there's a lot of symbolism between Viserys, granted his is a regular stag, right? But Viserys having this stag brought to him forcibly and then struggling to kill it in honor of his son's birthday. Whereas Rhaenyra sees the white stag naturally. I'm getting a lot of old season one, season two, early season Game of Thrones, Danny vibes off of her, at which I really like. And I can feel the same thing with Rhaenyra. You feel after everything that's happened to her during this little adventure that she's found some release and she's found new footing to move forward and to continue doing what she has now been given as heir to the throne. And then when she sees the stag, you could tell there's a little bit of a mutual respect between the stag and her because she sees as you said, this stag, this white stag, the white heart is supposed to be a purity and good fortune. And she sees it and she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm all right with you. I'm not going to kill you. And she even stops Christian from doing it because she doesn't, doesn't want this stag to be harmed because she feels a bit of a thank you. Like this is a symbol for her to say, you are the heir of the throne. You are the true person to take the throne when your father passes and leave the kingdom into the future. And this sort of is a way for her to like finally get this symbol in a way for her to see that, you know, she needs to move forward. She needs to continue proving that she is the right person to sit on that throne. Yeah. I think with the symbolism and stuff, I thought they did like a good job with that. I mean, in all honesty, it was a little predictable, you know, like I kind of saw it coming. I was like, yeah, we know what's going to happen here, you know? Um, but the fact that she did just kind of let it go, you know, as opposed to like killing it, which honestly, they're doing a good job on you on getting you to understand her character that I already knew that's what she was going to do. You know, I was like, yeah, she's not going to kill it. She didn't kill it, you know. So but yeah, the fact that the the, the stag went to her like, I mean, that was kind of saw that one coming and mm-hmm. yeah, not killing it. Same thing. But I thought the symbolism was really good. It was a good scene. Well, I mean, and also I think that the symbolism knowing from Sansa's words from Aeswap when they're going out to hunt the white stag and she says, you know, why, why are they going to hunt the, the white stag? You know, it's it, in the in the stories, heroes don't kill the white stag. So there's the symbolism of the purity and it showing up for Rhaenyra and meaning a good omen for her rule. But then there's also the knowledge that in this world, heroes don't kill the white stag. And she didn't kill the white stag. So it is put in our heads that she is the hero. And I'm going to leave that there. And I want you guys to ruminate on that. And I'm sure we'll talk more about the fact that this happened in future episodes. Now, on to hot take number seven. Uh, Rick and Stark, man, he really could have learned something from Damon in regards to zigzagging (laughs) to avoid arrows. Seriously, though, this whole scene was so badass. This is why I really drove that home in the summary where Matt Smith as Damon didn't say a word. And yet it was still not just the battle, right? Not just the fighting. It was still such a powerful performance. I think we should start from the beginning where you see Damon has returned from the fight and he finally gets a letter from his brother. And let's be fair, he took the whole new meaning please don't kill the messenger because he almost yeah. did <laughs> yeah and you could see that in damon's face he's reading it and it's like you know dude three years i've been fighting this war 
you haven't come to my aid once. You haven't even said hello, hi, how are you doing? And then you finally show up with a letter saying you're going to send me some people to help. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going out there. I'm going to. I, at first, I thought he's just giving up, but he just walks out there. But I see what he's doing. He's trying to draw in the crab feeder and his men because they've been hiding out in these caves and they are safe from the dragons and the, the soldiers. And he's trying to draw them out. He's using himself as bait. Because when you look at Damon, he's he's a well-known fighter. Who wouldn't want to finally put a, a loss on Damon Targaryen's record. And for the crab feeder, he's drawn in. And of course, you know, Damon's pulling him in. He's pulling his men in. And as soon as it looks like that's it, game over, Damon just goes full on Jason Bourne on these guys. He's running at top speed. He's taking guys out. He's dodging arrows left and right. He's just going straight for the crab feeder. And, he, and the crab feeder knows what he's doing. And I, one other thing that I liked about it was, though the crab feeder is not a main villain in these episodes, you know, he's a bad guy in this. But he, he's been built up these last two episodes. And he hasn't even said a word. He's only done everything through expression and his what he's done. He hasn't said one word. So even when he's telling his men, he's just nodding to them like, go out there, get him, you know, bring out another bunch of guys, go out there and get him, surround him. But he's also like wondering, okay, what's going on? He's by himself and he starts to realize, wait, where are the dragons? And then he starts realizing, what? and then we finally get sea smoke to finally swoop in and save the day. And then the rest of the army comes in and they're just going to war. And Damon's finally in control. He's taking these guys out. And he sees the crab feeder scully back into his cave. And he's like, no, I'm not. No, we're not doing it like this. And he goes after him. And I think it was a really well done scene, you know, the action pace. And even if you're not a big fan of Matt Smith as Damon Targaryen, this was really a good point for him to show off what he could do as his character. My only disappointment with this part is that we never got to see Damon versus the crab feeder. He goes into the cave and then... Like five minutes later, he's pulling out his corpse. His half of his body's gone. I wanted to see that fight. I wanted to see them see what they could do. I wanted to see if the crab feeder could even hold his own against Damon. But then they just, he just pulls him out. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I wanted to see where this was going to end, end up with the fight between these two. And it's still a really beautifully unseen. I think it's the first battle scene we've ever gotten in house of dragons and i'm i'm hoping for more and i feel that you know this scene was great i wish that they had a little fight between crab feeder and damon but i think this was a really well done scene and like i said if you were not a big fan of matt smith as damon this would probably cement it i agree yeah. I, I i really think that with this whole scene with him i mean really kind of solidified he didn't have to say anything the the entire plan you know going in there and like surrendering and then getting the, the crab feeder to come out and then and when the dragon showed up i had that same excitement from like back in the day where i was like yeah you know take him out man but i will say this about the crab feeder i actually have the opposite opinion of it i'm really glad that there wasn't a fight scene with it because the fact that the end he just kind of comes out and like is just dragging his body to me the message it sent was that the crab feeder was just a nobody to him 
right? Mm. Like the crab feeder was this big mm. threat, but to him, it was like nothing. He's like, look, here you go. Here's the junk, you know? And I think having it like ominous like that, I think that like really kind of hit it home where it was like, whoa, like, because my initial reaction wasn't like, oh, fight scene. Like oh. my thing was like, oh man, that's fucked up. Even though, even though it was a bad guy, we all wanted to see him get killed. The fact that he's just walking out nonchalantly dragging this corpse like a kid that doesn't want to leave the playground and you're trying to drag him off the playground and he's just like, here you go. I was like, wow, that thing was literally nothing but like an ant to you. And you just decimate. You just walked in there and just decimate. Honestly, I thought it had a little more oomph with it. See, I didn't really think about it. And Jason was talking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, why didn't we get an amazing fight scene? Because to me, like, all the stuff leading up to it, he was such a, Damon was such a badass, like, just busting through all those pirates, etc. But leading up to it, there was so much badassery, right, that I didn't really think that much about the fact that there wasn't an obvious on-screen fight between Damon and the crowd theater. Then when you started talking about how, oh man, there wasn't a fight. I was like, oh man, you're right. Like I would have loved to see that. But then Manny completely changed my mind with his opinion. Sorry guys. So no, don't <laughs> oh, be sorry. No, actually, you brought up a very good point on that. And I'm very glad for that. I think I'm going to give it the whole, the whole scenario. I'm giving it 10 out of 10 Targaryen eyebrows. Oh yeah. 10 out of 10 easily. Because before, before I was thinking without the one-on-one Damon Crab feeder fight, it would be more like a seven out of 10, maybe six and a half. Yeah, but Manny, you changed my mind. Sure. I, I have to agree with that. I, I mean, just love open-ended kind of like ideas like that to where it's like, and I just think like to me, the way I took it, because I would have been the same way where it's like, oh man, I would have liked like, you know, like, like a big fight scene. But the fact that he just comes out with this thing just goes to show how nothing this guy was. To him. This guy was a big threat, right? It was a crab feeder. Oh my God, this guy's crazy. And here he comes just like taking out the trash. Like it's nothing to him. Like it was just nothing. I just charged up in there and I got hit with a few arrows and I just went and I went in there and I'm just going to take out the trash. I'll be back in a minute, guys. And I think that just from that, it sent a powerful message to where like Damon was like, he's a pain in the ass. But this was the first time that I saw him as an actual threat. I have to agree now. <laughs> you changed my mind on that. And it feels that it, you get to see Damon's attitude towards things and on that part. And though I was thinking in my head while watching this scene, like what would the fight have been like seeing that Damon has really no regard for anything but himself. I see where you were saying on this. It was a one shot, one kill fight in my brain. He just walked up to him and just sliced him with one shot. Didn't get touched. Like that's the way I envision it because that's from that scene. That's the threat that I see that Damon is now mm. like that, that that's why it was good writing right there. Like when I, that ending happened, I was like, wow that because i was expecting a fight scene too but when i saw that and i was like like i walked away from it i having to think about it and when i thought about it, I'm like what, what would that fight have looked like it was simple crab feeder didn't get one shot and he just sliced him like a piece of trash and he's just tossing out the trash that's it and i was like wow damon is an actual threat you know he's not just a pain in the ass little spoiled brother you know brother of the king or whatever like no this guy's a legitimate threat and that scene proved it to me i also wanted to bring up renera returning to the camp the hunting camp triumphant and bloody from her battle with the boar and damon emerging from the cave triumphant and bloody from his battle with the crab feeder we're seeing the real leaders here i think is yeah. what, I'm, what i'm trying to say yeah it was a really good just here's renera doing this thing here's damon doing the same thing they're both 
strong, possibly murderous people. I also did love seeing Lenor come in on Sea Smoke, of course. Um, yeah, that was cool. That however, was cool. I give his pronunciation of Dracaris like three out of ten Targ eyebrows because he said Dracaris. And yeah, I was like, it's being generous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose there could be like, they're trying to say there's an accent difference or whatever but between the valerians and the targaryens but every other time we've heard somebody say that word it was dracaris so i'll give them three out of ten targ eyebrows for the possibility that they might be trying to push like an accent difference but that's as far as i'm willing to go at that point, with all the noise and the and the and the fighting and the fire explosions and everything, it, I could probably I didn't even pick up and pick up on it until you actually mentioned it. I don't know why it bugged me so much because as somebody who reads as much as I do, there are absolutely words that I like I pronounce wrong, even though I know how to pronounce them now because I'm so stuck on the pronunciation that I had in my head before there was an internet to look up the word and just see. <laughs> Now, trust yeah. me, this, this this category could go up there with like you know you're saying manga or manga, you know, sort mm. of like that. Yeah. Now it's time for our favorites roundup. So Manny, what was your favorite thing about this episode? Damon with the uh, half uh, crab Peter getting dragged. That was my favorite. He just walked out. That was mm. it. I was that 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 was my favorite scene. Most powerful scene. Loved it. One and a half men walking on the beach together. <laughs> For myself, I think I think the only one I'm like is when we're near returns to the camp with the boar and she's still covered in the boar's blood and she's walking back to the to the tent. You, you could see all the eyes on her. You have the Lannisters kind of looking at her, scoffing, like, oh my God, what's she doing? What, why is she covered in blood? And then you see like most of the other people looking at her and like, yeah, you know what? Good for her. I like that, you know? And then you see her family like, like what the hell happened? <laughs> everyone's like looking you're like why are you covered in blood why did you bring back a boar what's going on and i think most people in the camp are just happy there's bacon i've been back and forth about this one a lot i wrote my original favorite moment before i rewatched the episode so my favorite moment is the mobile igloo. no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing is the whole scene of Damon fighting his way through the pirates. I mean, it was the music, the choreography, the lighting. And as somebody who is, I keep, I keep repeating how much of not a big Matt Smith fan I am. And I want to, I just, I feel like I always have to add the caveat of I haven't watched Doctor Who, right? Mm -hmm. So from what I understand, a lot of the people that are really big fans of Matt Smith, know him from Doctor Who and I think the only thing I'd seen really a lot of him in before this was The Crown in which he's great as an actor but just such a like despicable human being kind of that yeah and also I just don't find him attractive and Damon is supposed to be so much more attractive but this episode while I'm still not sold on his looks for Damon this episode sold me on his ability to kind of be more than just like that dickhead brother on the yeah. side, right? It yeah. sold me on his ability to be a powerful player in the ha 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 Game of Thrones. So, I mean, that, that the whole fight was just amazing. 
but the fact that it sold me on Matt Smith is well, 10 out of 10 like, hard eyebrows for it selling <laughs> me on Matt Smith. Dude, yeah, 10 out of 10. Because that's what sold, because I did watch Doctor Who, and that was one of my favorite runs of like Doctor Who. And the thing, and the thing with Matt Smith is that he's just so charming and so nice that when, they, when I see him as Damon, there's a general sense of repulsion, right? And that's the thing. It's because I haven't, I didn't, I haven't seen him in a role where he was like a jerk. He was just like this nice, like kind of guy. And now to see him doing these things, it's like having a, a friend who's like a really good friend and they do everything right, and then all of a sudden they become this complete asshole. You are more more repulsed at that than if you ran into someone like that who was a stranger, right? Because it's like you know them. And with Matt Smith, that's how I felt like I knew him. So honestly, at first I was like, no, why is he in this role? It's terrible. But then looking at the way that I was reacting to him, I was like, you know what? Actually, this is probably the best cast for me anyway, because I have a general sense of repulsion looking at him and looking at the things that he's doing. So I kind of hated him a little more, you know? So just a note on why I've never mentioned that I watched Matt Smith in The Crown is that like Betty Offen Weiss, I uh, kind of forgot that I saw Matt Smith in The Crown because it was so long ago that I saw those episodes where he was in it. And we were recording this late this week because I was at Dragon Con and then I was traveling and also I had basically no voice. So I finally got like a little bit of my very hoarse, low voice back. I sound like a totally different person. But we are recording this on Thursday, September 8th, the day that it was announced that Queen Elizabeth II passed away. And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, I watched The Crown and Matt Smith was in it. And I would say like, <laughs> oh, bad for me for this being the thing that reminded me that I watched The Crown and Matt Smith was in it. But also, yeah. you know, British monarchy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, any last thoughts, you guys, before I close this out? Did anyone else notice Viserys's hand, his left hand, when he was talking to Allison? Because I didn't, I didn't notice his hand until like that very scene when I saw that his fingers—he's missing fingers. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because he had that infection or something going on. Yeah. It, it, I, I I saw that because in the scene where he's sitting on the throne, he cuts his pinky, and in. Episode two, they're doing whatever they can to treat it with <laughs> modern medicine back then. Oh, yeah. And uh, then I noticed in the scene where he's talking with Allison and the hand was like he, the the, uh, the ring figure is missing, too. And I'm like, oh, wow, the infection. I didn't even notice that. Wow. That's yeah. That was a good catch. I didn't even notice that. Nice. I mean, I didn't either. But to be fair, I watched the episode the first time on Monday night, very exhausted after I had the most hellish drive from Atlanta to South Carolina. And then I watched it the second time on the plane yesterday. So oh. I believe that. <laughs> but good catch. <laughs> now now I feel like I need to go back and watch this. I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah. I didn't pick up into it until I very soon when he's sipping. He's sipping on, a, like a, I guess, a little uh, hangover antidote. And he's sipping on it, and I'm like, oh, wait a second, where, where's his fingers? Honestly, at least it didn't kill him. You know, I was kind yeah. of like worried that it was going to be like, oh, he's the king, and he's not going to get taken out by some other, or like Damon or some big player. It's going to literally be like an, an infection that just goes sepsis, right? Like, that's kind of what I was kind of seeing, and I'm like, I really hope that doesn't happen. Unless we have that's next week's fair. episode, and we'll see what, what new element is ailing him. So, I mean, it's yeah. this week's episode at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Maybe he's walking on the throne. And he accidentally steps on one of the swords. And... Yeah, exactly. Oh, I stepped on a nail, you know, yeah. he gets a tetanus and then dies. Yeah. Well, then that, that probably explains why in the uh, Game of Thrones, why we don't have all the other swords lying around. Yeah, exactly. Anymore. Exactly.
As we close out this episode, I just want to give a shout out to the Geek Saga Entertainment Heroes tier patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for episode three of Hot D Takes. Manny and I will be back next week with a new guest to cover House of the Dragon's fourth episode, King of the Narrow Sea. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con. 